Those of you that are here in the room, welcome. It is so great to be here with you on night number four. The week is going by fast, isn't it? It definitely is. It is so great to be here with you again tonight. So tonight we're going to start out and we're going to start with a picture. And I've got an easy one for you. And it's this. What is this couple doing? They're getting married, right? So if you were to say this relationship, or really any relationship for that matter, what is the key ingredient that it takes to make that relationship last? Now before you answer, we talked about love the other night. So love is not going to be the answer for this. So what is the key ingredient that would keep this relationship together other than love? Patience, prayer, forgiveness, compromise, humility, respect. Those are all great answers. Not the word I'm looking for yet. Loyalty, commitment, close. I'm going to give it to you. It's trust. Oh, okay. So you give her the prize. I'm sorry. So anyway, trust is what we're going to talk about tonight. And I believe trust to be the primary binding agent of really any relationship. Love is, love is something that makes our relationships really sweet, but trust is what makes them possible. So have you ever broken trust in a relationship? Yeah, I, I have. Have you ever had somebody break trust to you? I, I've done that as well. So when you, when you think about that and how you have broken trust and how you do that, it makes the relationships hard, doesn't it? So Stephen Covey, he's a writer and he's a speaker. He said this, trust is the glue of life. It is the most essential ingredient in effective communication. It is the foundational principle that holds all relationships. So whether we are in business, whether we have, have uh, friendships, family, marriage, trust is so important to make those relationships work and work well. And for this to happen, for us to have trust, we have to be two things. We have to both be trustworthy as well as be able to trust. So I'm going to give you an example now of a business transaction. And so I'm sure you've had business transactions before where they went a little bit sour. Has everybody experienced that? So you go into the store, right, and you give them your expectations. You say, I need something that will do X, Y, and Z. So the salesman says, oh, come right over here. I've got a widget for you that will work just perfect for that. It does all the things that you want it to. So you say, okay. So you buy that widget, and you take that widget home, and then the widget doesn't do what they promised. Now you have a problem, don't you? So you had expectations of that widget, but the widget in reality didn't come through. So what we find is this. We find that our expectations and our reality are not equal. And so that doesn't build trust because trust is built on reality. And reality is always greater than our expectations. So whenever we start a relationship, we start with a hope or an expectation of the other person or the other thing fulfilling a need or completing us in some way. So we always ask ourselves when we start that relationship process, we're going to ask ourselves that question, are we compatible? Is this going to work? 
Because when you went to, to buy that widget, if you really didn't think that widget was going to fulfill what you wanted it to do, would you have bought it? No. You had the expectation that it was going to do what you wanted it to do. When I met Sarah, I had expectations. I had expectations of what I wanted my wife to be, of what she was going to do, how she was going to act, things that she would be interested in. She also had expectations of me, of what I would be, and how I would act, and how I would treat her, and what we would do together. And so then the relationship, and the, as it started, the relationship bubbles looked like this. I had my expectations, and I had my reality in the relationship. She had her expectations, and she had her reality. The area there in the center you can see where it says trust, where those circles overlap, that is where the trust is built, and that's where trust is held. Here's what happens, is when we have trust in a relationship, we have it at lots of different levels. When we have a deep level of trust and it's been built on over years, of a reality that we thought was true, and it turns out to be a lie, that really deeply shatters the trust in that relationship. So sometimes we do little things to, make our, to, to, to eat away at our trust. So look at this. Have you ever realized that a woman's I'll be ready in five minutes and a man's I'll be home in five minutes are exactly the same? Yeah, you know, we, we, we struggle with that sometimes. We don't always quite tell the truth, right? And so Sarah and I have some of our own examples. These are examples where we have forgiven each other. Some of them we're still working on, but uh, we want to share these, these things with you. So when I got married to Sarah, I had an expectation of her that her cooking was going to be similar to my mother's which was a meat, bread, potato, fruit, and vegetable at every meal. And, you know, you can throw dessert in there, too, so you get all six food groups. Canned soup didn't quite cut it. But that was her expectation was that she was going to cook as what she grew up on. And so that's what she did. Now, granted, my mom did not feed us canned soup all the time, so please don't think that. But, yes. Yes, my home looked a little different than Jesse's home. Um, or an example would be um, a time that Jesse and I got together with friends. And of course, you start telling the really funny stories to each other when you're together. And um, we all have those moments where we do some really embarrassing things, right? And so there was one time when Jesse and I just, thankfully, it was just the two of us at home. And I did something really embarrassing. And thankfully, he was the only one that saw it. But, you know, of course, we get the really good chuckle out of it. And we move on. But then that night that we were visiting with the friends and we're telling funny stories, guess what story came out? It was that one that was really embarrassing to me. And, you know, by him telling it, he didn't try to hurt me, but it did hurt my feelings because I didn't want to be embarrassed in front of them. And so, you know, that was a time that my, his, my trust was, his trust was broken by sharing that. Yes, yeah, so guys, I learned that I always want to hold my wife in high esteem, right? I, I always want to speak well of her. So something else that happens is Sarah says that she'll be ready in a minute, and then we end up really, really late. Unfortunately, yes. Or sometimes um, Jesse says, okay, honey, I call him on the phone. He says, I'll be done working in 15 minutes, and then an hour later I see him pull into the driveway. It does happen. It does. 
but you also, I say, hey, when are you going to be done with book work? And she says she'll be done in a minute and an hour later and she's still doing book work. Do you see kind of a trend here? We're kind of workaholics and so a lot of our trust things come from how much time and effort we put into our business together. So, yes. So another time with, in regards to our business, these are things that we've had to work on together. Um, but Jesse says he'll be home at 5, and he is home at 5. But then he's on his phone finishing billing or scheduling for the next day, but he's not engaging us. And that's what my expectation is, is that he's going to engage us when he's home, but that's not happening. So those are t- areas where we break trust with in our relationship with each other. Yeah, and we also do this with our kids, too. So we make a promise to them that we're going to do something, but then other things in life come up, and what gets cut off? It's the promise that we made to our kids, and so we break trust with them. And I even got to the point where I did this so much that my kids started thinking, oh, yeah, well, that's just an empty promise. They don't even actually trust that that's going to happen. So it's, it's something that can, can happen very easy, but is definitely something that isn't good. Or sometimes we've had those instances where our friends have broken trust with us, right? So, you know, that time where we've shared something really confidential with somebody that we think is our really close friend, and then some other random person comes up and starts talking to us about it. Have you ever had that happen? And so you realize that that confidential thing you shared with your friend, they had shared it with somebody else, and they had broken trust in that. Or if someone comes up to you and starts sharing something, and you start listening and you're thinking, wait a minute, this is probably things that I shouldn't be hearing about this person that they're sharing. And you start realizing that it's, it's gossip instead. Sometimes it can be disguised as prayer requests for other people, right? Um, it can be slid in with that. But um, those are the times that I realize, you know what? I don't know that I'm going to be able to share something with this person in the future because I see what they've shared about somebody else that they probably shouldn't have. And if you've had, I've had friends lie to me. I was working with a friend of mine who was actually in an affair. And he promised me over and over that it was done. And then it wasn't. And it wasn't. And it broke that friendship because I could no longer trust him because his word wasn't good. So we can get stuck into sin cycles. And Romans 7.15 says this, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do, for I do not For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. So when I do the things that would have broke Sarah's trust, or my children's trust, or my friend's trust, I hate doing it. It makes me hurt inside because I know that it's bad. I know it's bad for our relationship, but I get stuck in that sin cycle. Romans 7.18 says this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So even looking at the things that that we know that we shouldn't be looking at, putting things into our heads that, that are not pure, that are not holy. So if we're looking at things we shouldn't, if we're reading things that we shouldn't, chasing after things that aren't pure and holy, it brings sin into our lives. It brings sin into our relationships, and it hurts those that are closest to us. Our sin struggles, they weigh us down, and they break the trust of those that we love the most. So how then do we get out of this sin cycle of breaking trust? 
First Peter 2, 21 and 22 says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Remember, Jesus called us that new command, I give you, right? To follow me, right? To love as I have loved. So he, Jesus committed no sin, and neither was deceit found in his mouth. So we need to be following Christ's example. We have to get to the point where we are tired of hiding. We need to be willing to free ourselves and step out into the light and be honest. The other, the other night, Ryan talked about being honesty and wearing a mask, right? There was a time in my life that I was wearing a mask, not just a mask, but a full suit, where I wasn't even recognizable as to who I was. The outside looked great, but the inside wasn't. And I was so afraid of the consequences that would come if I stepped out of that. But my relationship with Sarah, my relationship with God, was so important that I had to take those wrongs that I had and make them right. So how do you do that? The first step is this. You must confess. I had to confess the wrongs that I had done uh, to Sarah. I, I confess some of these that we, we talk through. We have confessed those to each other. We talk about that. Comparing her to my mom is something that I never should have done. God didn't make her to be my mother. He made her to be my wife. And she is great. And God made her just for me in that way. I should not have shared the things that I did about her that embarrassed her because it, it does not make her feel good. And I always want to hold my wife in the highest esteem and, so, and always project her in a good light to, to those that are around me. I have to confess for the wrongs that I've done to my children for not following through on the promises that I've made. Proverbs uh, 28.13 says this, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So confessing what we've done wrong to someone, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we need to do that. The next step is this, to seek forgiveness. Now I want to point out, these two are not the same. Confessing is saying, I'm sorry for doing X, Y, and Z. Seeking forgiveness is different. It is asking a question. It is actually humbling yourself before them and saying, not only that I am wrong, but asking them to forgive you. I have hurt Sarah at times where it took some time for her to say that she was actually ready to forgive me. Like, it was bad. But she always has. And do you know why? Because Psalms 147.3 says this, He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. When we are both working together towards Christ, God will bring us back together. Through Christ, all things are possible. But it is one thing to forgive a person, right? It's a whole other thing to regain trust. So how do you do that? The first thing that you have to do if you are the offender is you need to put a stop to the sin. You need to remove all of the entry points for that sin. So you need to identify what triggers that. It could be lots of different things. It could be words that you hear. It could be the time of day. It could be a location. 
It could be a lack of sleep or a sight or a smell. So you need to find out what is causing you to do that. Jesus says in Matthew 5.29, if your right eye causes you to sin, to tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. You see what Jesus is saying here? He is saying that you need to ruthlessly eliminate whatever is causing you to sin. Paul says this to the Colossians, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. I had a cousin of mine. He was a fantastic golf player. He, uh, he placed at state. He went on to play at college level. After college, he started entering tournaments, and he was winning money. And then Jesus redeemed him, and he met a woman. And the two of them were engaged, and he realized that the game of golf had become such an idol in his life that it was hurting his relationship with his soon-to-be wife. And he quit. He quit playing golf altogether. And a couple of years later, after they'd gotten married, I went and talked to him, and I said, how are you doing with the golf thing? I said, are you golfing at all? And he said, not a bit. He says, actually, I have some. He says, I've played a couple times. But both times I went out, it reminded me of the man that I used to be. He realized what was an idol in his life, and he ruthlessly eliminated it. Even though it was something that he was really good at, and he he really enjoyed at one time, because of what it had become in his life, it was better for him not to play golf than to play it. So I'm going to have a question for you here. 30 seconds to reflect. What do you need to ruthlessly eliminate to become more trustworthy in your relationships? Final step here to building trust is to ask for help. If you find yourself stuck in a sin struggle, you need an accountability partner. You need someone that is in your life that is going to keep you accountable, keep you on the right track. They need to be willing to ask the really hard questions to be able to get into your life and not just get in your life, but they need to be there and they need to be willing to pray with you and pray for you. James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Folks, when men and women of God pray from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith, we can expect amazing things to happen. God is so good to hear our prayer. But as we said earlier, we need to be trustworthy, but we also need to be able to trust. And this is the challenge, because myself, if I've been hurt, if somebody has hurt me, Do I want to put myself back in that situation where you're going to get hurt again? I don't. So that is really hard. But God tells us that that's what we are to do. We are to forgive and give them another chance. So how do we do that? First, we need to begin by trusting God. So I'm I'm going to use the example of Gideon from Judges 6.13. So Gideon grew up as an Israelite. He knew the history 
He knew the promises that God made. He knew how God brought the Israelite nation out of, out of Egypt, how he kept them through the desert and, and brings them into the promised land. And now because of their disbelief and because of the, the Israelites' disobedience, God judged them and the Midianites have come in and for seven years they have been starving. So Gideon is there and he's like, God, what are you going to do? And so he asks this question in verse 13. Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian? So he's like, why is this happening, God? So God then tells him, he says, I want you to raise up an army. I want you to go against them. Well, now this isn't just one nation. There's now an al- allies of these nations. So there are a lot of people against them. They haven't been eating. They're starving. And Gideon's thinking, this is not going to be good. He wasn't wanting to trust God. So he challenged God and he says, I'm going to put this fleece out. If the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, then I'll believe you. So the next morning he wakes up and he squeezes a bowl full of water out of that fleece. But he wasn't trusting yet. He says, God, I've got to test you one more time. Tomorrow I want the ground to be wet and the fleece to be dry. He wakes up the next morning and it is. He says, okay, God. So he calls the army together. He gets 22,000 men show up. God says, that's too much. And he pairs them down and he sets up 300 men, is all that's left, to go against these mighty nations and this mighty army. And God says, I've given them into your hand. You can go. It's like, whoa, uh, there's only 300 of us. God says, okay, well then, if you're nervous, why don't you go listen to the camp and see what they have to say? And this is what he hears when he gets close to the camp. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, And came to the tent, struck it, so that it fell, and turned it upside down, so the tent laid flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. God showed Gideon that he could be trusted. How would that guy, that guy wouldn't have even known who Gideon was, right? So I'm going to ask you this because I get asked this regularly. I've had many people ask me this. They said, how do we know that we can trust God? I asked them a couple things. The first is, I asked them if they've read the Old Testament. Have you seen how God has provided for his people over and over again? And the second thing I ask is, are you putting yourself in a position where you need to trust God? Are you putting yourself out there where you have to fully rely on God? It can start out as small things. 
But as you see that God will provide, and as you see that, God, that you can rely on God, that will build trust in him. Jeremiah 29.11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God sees us both on our mountaintops and in our valleys. Where things that we are excited about and things that just weigh us down. But God gives us those tough experiences at times to prepare us. To let us experience God in in ways that we never thought. To teach us to trust him because he wants to bring us hope. We need to communicate our expectations. We can do that in this way. We have an acronym called HOT. The first is we need to be honest. We need to be truthful in every manner. So we need to, as Ryan was talking about the other night, we cannot add anything to or take anything away from what is actually the truth. We cannot leave, it, leave anything out. We need to be open. No subject is off limits. So if you're dealing with sin issue in your life and you're trying to work that out with your husband or with your wife, you can't be afraid to talk about the sin struggle that is in front of you. The final thing is you need to be transparent. Now, this is a conversation for me. It is not comfortable. I don't like to talk about my feelings. It took me a long time for me to open up and actually say what I felt. But we need to be willing to do that and willing to extend. The next thing we need to do is be willing to extend forgiveness. We have to be ready to forgive over and over and over. Like Sarah and I shared with with some of the things that we are still working through. She still doesn't quit working on book book work all the time when she should. She's still not always on time. But I'm still willing to forgive her and trust that the next time she will be ready to go. She will do the same thing for me on some of those same similar issues. We're all sinners. And that's why Paul says this in Colossians 3.13. To bear with one another... And if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. We have been forgiven so much. As we looked at the other night, what Jesus did just to have relationship with us. And then he tells us to love as he, is, as, as he has loved, to put on that sacrificial love. That involves forgiving over and over so that we can keep relationship with those that we love the most. So this is the result. If we forgive our hurts and we right our wrongs, my expectations and my reality and my wife's expectations and her reality, they, are now, they now come together and they're being held together by Christ. Christ binds all of our imperfections together. And then that allows us to love freely. It allows us to go out into the community and love without fear of losing each other. So tonight, your life in action, before you go to bed. Is there any area of your relationships where you have broken trust? And what steps do you need to take to make those right? The second part is this. Is there any area of my relationships where I'm not trusting? And what steps do I need to take to make that right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, for this time here. Lord, you, uh, you have done so much for us. Lord, you forgive us over and over. 
and you make it possible for us to trust you. Lord, I pray that as we look at our relationships and as we look at how we have hurt people in the past and and even how we're maybe currently hurting people and we might be hiding behind a, a mask that we don't really want to take off because we're afraid of what that consequence might be. Lord, I pray that you would work in our lives. Lord, that you would make it possible to step out into the light so that we can, we can start building trust on, on a firm reality that you will bind together our relationships with, with your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.